Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello there, history friends, and welcome to a special kind of episode, basically to commemorate the fact that we've been doing this for five whole years. This is what I like to call a memory lane collage. In other words, it's going to be a kind of mixing and matching of different audio clips from the five years of When Diplomacy Fails to really show and illustrate how far we've come since May 2012. I mean, think of all the wars we've covered. Think of all the times we have had together. Think of all the times I've asked you guys for support, had some incredible news that you couldn't wrap your heads around, or made an announcement about my latest war to come. I mean, we've been through a lot. We really, really have. So I wanted to use this episode to kind of give you guys a feel for what When Diplomacy Fails has done and hopefully get you excited for what is to come. Not just in this fifth birthday spectacular, which you're all, of course, very, very welcome to, but to everything that comes after that, from the long war to more Britain goes to war, perhaps, to whatever is going to come after episode 30. Who knows? I still haven't completely decided, but whatever happens, when diplomacy fails, is not going anywhere. And you'll be happy to know that whatever plans we do have, I'll be there with you for the ride. Okay, so, so what should you expect from this episode, and how can you be sure if it's really for you? Well, to be honest, I don't really know, because I've never done any episodes like these before, but if you remember back to some of the other kind of collage work I've done, for example, the 1916 Rising, where I gathered loads of little clips or quotes together and used them to kind of paint a picture of a kind of timeline, then that's pretty much what I'm doing here, except rather than the 1916 Rising, it's the history of, well, when diplomacy fails, so... If that sounds like something you're interested in, then great, but either way, even if you hate it, I thought it would be a nice way to begin this whole massive project. And I thought that as a kind of summary of how far we've come, how much I've grown, and how much When Diplomacy Fails has, well, examined and covered in its five whole years, that it's a pretty good marker of that. So I hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think anyway. I always enjoy doing these kind of audio experimentation things. I don't know why, I just find them weirdly satisfying. Even though they take a really, really long time, and, well, depending on your mood or how you feel about them, they might not even appeal to you on that kind of level. But if you're one for nostalgia, if you like looking back over what we've done, and if you feel generous with your time, I think that's important above all, then, hey, stick around, have a listen to this, and then let me know what you think through the usual channels. If you are the kind of person that likes to follow things chronologically, this is probably for you. Also, I would say stick around to the end, because the final clip that is played is going to be, well, the kind of introduction music for this whole five-year birthday project. If you don't really mind either way and you want to be surprised tomorrow when the first episode comes out, 
case you've forgotten, it's the interview with Mr. Kevin Stroud from the History of English, so we're very excited about that. But if you just want to hear the music then, then that's fine. But if you want to stick around till the end and hear it there, then, well, this is the first time, this is the first place that you'll officially hear that intro music. So yeah, thanks for listening, guys, to another kind of special in-betweeny episode of this five-year birthday special. We're running wild. The party officially starts on this Monday, but before the party starts, we're getting the drinks ready. We're setting up the chairs. We're Maybe we're cooking the cake. We're doing all the kind of things that people do at a party. Alrighty, so if you're ready, this is the Memory Lane Collage. Enjoy, guys. After a hunt, during a war, or before an election. Otto von Bismarck. Hello, and welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. If you're wondering about what kind of course this podcast will take, and what kind of angle it'll approach... Hey guys, welcome to When Diplomacy Fails, episode 3, The Russo... Before I go straight into this though, I'd like to remind you to use the acronym BFIT because it's a fantastic acronym that I thought of myself, so you should all use it. The uh, next voices you hear will be mine and Sean's. Hello, so, thanks very and much. you're very welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Back on the podcast, as always, joined by my wonderful guest, Sean. Hi guys, thanks for having me again, Zach. This is, I am uh, very excited to see how much this podcast has grown, and to see everyone support it. For everyone who has followed BFIT so far, thank the you. War of the Polish Succession. I hope you're ready for some history you may not be familiar with, since I would guess that many people today would likely have no idea that a war over the Polish crown exists. Of the When Diplomacy Fell special on Napoleon, the French Revolutionary Wars. Hello and you are all very welcome to the When Diplomacy Fails special, episode 10.5, Talk the Wars Against the French. So, how are we all doing today? So I headed on down to his caravan in Wexford, and we recorded a podcast together. Because that's what friends are for. A word of warning, though. This is going to be a long one. Probably my own fault, since I refused to stretch this over three proper episodes. My guest, as always, is Sean. Say hello, Sean. Hello. Thank you very much for having me again. No problem at all. It's always a pleasure. Of course. And for anyone who has just listened to this episode the whole way through... You crazy person, you deserve a medal. Hey guys, before we go any further, remember this is a listener-supported podcast. Supported by fans of When Diplomacy Fails, just like After you. such good feedback from the last talk episode on the Crimean War, I felt that we just had to do another one. So me and Sean Say got together Sean. and... Hey guys, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> if you said I'm fine, that there's something wrong with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even if, you, even if you thought a response. Yeah, then. if you thought a response... Then... What is B fit, you say? Well, let's tell them, shall we? B is for blog. Pay attention here, because we have now moved. WDFpodcast.blogspot.ie is the place to go for journal-style analysis. Hello and welcome to When Diplomacy Fails, episode 15, The Boxer Rebellion. Over these two weeks, I've jumped right into the fascinating world of early modern China, and I'm so glad I did. I suppose we better start the way we start all the other episodes that we do. Uh, where we shamelessly advertise for, oh, yeah, the first yeah, for five like minutes. five minutes of advertising. So without any further ado, yeah, <laughs> let's be. Fair. Hello and welcome yeah, to When Diplomacy Fails, Episode Seventeen: The Austro-Prussian War. 
That's right, When Diplomacy Fails is still here. Despite my erratic schedule, podcasting is still very much important to Zach Twomley. So I think I should begin this Commuting, working, travelling to school or college, or ironing are all hard things to do without my gorgeous voice to help you on the way. Trust me, I understand. As someone who travels about two hours a day to get to college, I know how frustrating it can be whenever shows you like aren't available. And Bismarck was left triumphant at the head of a Prussia which had never been so strong. By 1866, Bismarck had completely transformed... Hello and welcome to When Diplomacy Fails, episode 19, the first Italo-Ethiopian... Well, what do you know? I managed to squeeze in one last episode before Christmas. My name is Zach, and you've been listening to When Diplomacy Fails. Merry Christmas, and thanks... Hello and welcome to When Diplomacy Fails special on World War I, episode 20.1. Trust me, you will need nine episodes on World War I. There is just so much to cover, first beforehand and then with the war itself and its consequences. When people talk about when diplomacy fails, I want them to say, Oh, have you heard of his special on World War I? It's like nine episodes It has been a long, long road to get here, folks. So if you've forgotten our considerable journey, you should really reacquaint yourself, because it is quite a story. So I will now take you to the year 1918. This episode has been many months in the making, guys, and I'm sure you'll guess by the length, it's also been many hours in the editing, so I'm sure you'll appreciate and enjoy it as much as I enjoyed taking some time with Sean to just really go through the motions of the first Actually, how do we awkwardly introduce B-Fit, or do we just No, we just B-Fit? go, well, you know, in light of current <laughs> trends. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think it works like that. In Pretty li- sure we need to find a really cheesy way to introduce it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, hey, Zach, have you know what I've started doing? What? Being there. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. That was really great. That was really great. I was going to be like, um, so there I was on my run the other day, and I was thinking, isn't it great to be Mainly big? because oh, the Kaiser God. was so romantically <laughs> obsessed with the idea of a navy. And now he just sounds like... He's gay. <laughs> no, he doesn't at all. I was about to say it. <laughs> not romantically obsessed with oh, him. Romantically yeah, obsessed with turpids. the Navy. Mm. No, that's just <laughs> an unnecessary thing, and now I have to edit that. I hope you guys are all doing well, and I'm really excited to do this because it signifies that a new season has begun. Hello, WDFers. This is David Crowther from the History of England, here with a brief message of congratulation and birthday wishes for Zach and the wonderful When Diplomacy Fails. So congratulations, Zach, on your first birthday. It's going to be a great summer and a great new season of When Diplomacy Fails. That When Diplomacy Fails is now officially one year old. Happy birthday to us and all that jazz, but I'd also like to thank you, the listeners, for downloading the show even while I had vanished from podcasting land When Giuliano della Rovere was elected Pope in 1503, he entered the papacy during the beginnings of the Italian Wars that would last from 1494. Sean and I finally sat down together for what was perhaps a bit of a rambling talk episode, but certainly, I think, an enjoyable Please let me know what you think through the usual channels. The next voices you hear will be mine and Sean's. Thanks, and... Hi, I'm Benjamin Ashwell. I'm from Chicago, and I'm the winner of the first When Diplomacy Fails lottery. Now, Zach, I'd love to hear your take on the War of Greek Independence. 
and with college registration beginning again, I'm made more aware of the fact that this podcast hasn't been as frequent as I'd like. All your support has been brilliant, especially recently. You know who you are. After years of war, Spain appeared in 1585 to be more dangerous than ever before. Indeed, this is due to a number of factors. My loving people, we have been persuaded by some that are careful of our safety to take heed how we commit ourselves to armed multitudes for fear of treachery. But I do assure you, I do not desire to live to distrust my faithful and loving people. Thanks for that, Mom. Hello and welcome to the When Diplomacy Fell special on the Thirty Years' War. This is the first part of what I hope will be a nine-part series on the Thirty Years' War. And as he fled Sweden to hopefully resume the war from a secure base in Poland, Henry IV of France was securing his country after finally making peace with the Spanish. Hugh O'Neill was terrorising the English across Ireland, the Ottomans were carving up the Balkans for themselves, and across the empires of Europe, war was being waged. Next time, we'll look at the closing days of peace, a state Europe would not know for some time, once a certain violent reaction in a certain polarized city sends events spiraling out of control. Tilly, for the first time, had lost to a Protestant force. The Catholic League, for the first time, had lost a battle. And the Protestants, now under the champion, Gustavus Adolphus of Sweden, had defeated the Habsburgs for the first time in the war. This episode will try to introduce to you the meaty aspects of Westphalian diplomacy, as well as some of its key concepts, and how these states sought to try and end the We're going to do our best, and try not to get bogged down in the details and technicalities of the plenies. Before Louis XIV, the Habsburgs reigned supreme in Austria, Spain, and across the New World. By the time of Louis's death, the Habsburgs had been replaced by the Anglo-French rivalry that was to characterise European relations for the next 150 years. For three decades, armies had fought each other for differing ideas. What began as a religious issue centred on the balance of power in the Electoral College of the Holy Roman Empire largely escaped from this box and mutated into a conflict indistinguishable from this upon its eventual end. My name is Zach, and you have been listening to the When Diplomacy Fell special on the Thirty Years' War Episode 25.98 Westphalia Made Thanks so very much. Diplomacy Fails presents the July Crisis Anniversary Project, a day-by-day account of the events that occurred 100 years ago. Franz Ferdinand awoke on the morning of the 28th of June with a level of relief. Soon his trip along the Balkans would be over. 
His room, kitted out with an Arabian-style decor, complete with virgin carpets, were all very befitting of the heir to the throne of Austria. But for the staunch Catholic Ferdinand... Sergei Sazonov, the Russian foreign minister, had sent off a strongly worded message to Russia's ambassador in Vienna, which arrived at 4am on Thursday... After botching the construction process of the ultimatum, then proving unable to keep it a secret... Serbia then frustrated Austria-Hungary's attempt to make a solemn delivery of the ultimatum to... It had been a revealing night for the Germans. Not only had they learned of Britain's inability to remain neutral, thanks to Sir Edward Grey, the British Foreign Secretary, but Berlin would also be informed shortly of Russia's duplicity that had duped the entirety of Europe. I cannot possibly continue to bear the crushing responsibility of the high office which has been entrusted to me. The first order of business was to draft a letter to Russia... British statesmen, though they had taken their sweet time to acknowledge it, could now no longer remain in the dark about Russian And yet no measures. one, from the statesmen to the sovereigns, had ever seemed able, or at sometimes willing, to stop. This meant that the two greatest military powers in the world, Germany and Great Britain, were thus going to be at war once the ultimatum Can the eruption of World War I and the successive events of the 20th century really be explained out of the barrel of Gavrilo Princip's pistol? Or can they be attributed to the actions of a small group of men who, if they had only acted differently, could have... I don't blame so Princip for shooting, Hoyos for acquiring, Tiza for delaying, the Tsar for approving, Sazanov for mobilizing, or anyone else along the list. You guys are the best, and I do this as a gift to you. If you are like me and you want to learn from history, but feel like your education syllabus or ancient aliens just isn't cutting it for you anymore. The next voices you hear will be mine, and of course, Sean's. So here we are, after, we are, yeah. after the mammoth July crisis that oh my goodness. cannot believe is over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we it had a timer on it, you know, it, it expired did. at the yeah. end of July. I just beginning of August. Yeah, I still I can't believe I managed to keep up with it. That was a very stressful time. We'll get into that later. But first, in the uh, tradition of this uh, talk style, I think we should start with something that my listeners have not heard in a very, very, very long time. Be fit. If you're looking for ways to support, get in contact with, or inquire about this podcast, be fit is the best way to do it. Now, Sean, what is be fit? Uh, B is for blog. Dun dun. Dun, dun. You know your little music. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it was, more, it, it was more like dun, dun, dun. Those, like the way you ended each yeah. podcast was yeah. just so good. I did that I, on purpose. I was like, was okay. Just like, oh, I want to hear the next one. I want to hear the next one. This I, is what led Britain to take off its short, you know, the, <laughs> the sunglasses thing from it, uh, CSI. Oh, God. Oh, that's what it was. That's what that little calling at the yeah. end. Yeah, I even felt, I even like cut it so that it would be finally we are back and in this episode i'm going to introduce you to the changes when diplomacy fails will be undergoing in its current format in case you haven't realized yet we'll be covering the period 1648 to 1699 essentially what history deems the post west of course if you've been with us from the start or even just joined in relatively recently you'll have seen the 30 years war in all its terrible glory the post westphalian age is upon us and I'm so excited to present it to you. So please check your downloads for the first part of this era. The first angle Last time we set the scene between England and the Dutch. This time we're going to try to go further and get across the differences that existed between the two as empires, despite the professed English desire for union. Hello and welcome to When Diplomacy Fails, episode 26.8. 
the first Anglo-Dutch war part for When God Brings Death, The Devil Brings the Heirs. Swedish Hello and welcome to When Diplomacy Fails, episode 27.0, The Swedish Deluges, part 1, made by the Danish king to get involved in the war with Sweden, as well as a significant treaty signed between the Poles and Brandenburgers that reimagined East Prussia as a true possession of the electorate with no Another small reminder, if you will, to please remember that When Diplomacy Fails is a fan-supported and listener-supported podcast. So please be Hello and welcome to When Diplomacy Fails, a very special kind of talk episode where we commemorate and celebrate three years of When Diplomacy Fails. Back on the podcast, and my guest as always is Sean. Say hello, Sean. Hello. It's been a very, very long time. Really has been really ages. When was the last time you were on this? Oh, but we're also one million downloads strong. Woo! One million downloads strong. That's uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, halfway to two. Halfway to two. Halfway to two million. But also, <laughs> ha- also one million in its own right, which is pretty pretty good. Yeah, 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 yeah. pretty damn good. I still remember th- looking at the downloads and be like, oh well, I have a hundred. I think we should start with the way we normally started. Which is back on the podcast, and my guest is always Mr. Zach Twomley. Well, no, I was Zach. Talking. Say hello. Hello. <laughs> well, I was talking more like along the lines of be fit. Oh, okay, okay. So be uh, be fit. No, we do it properly. <laughs> Sorry. So Sean, the other day I was like walking along, and I was thinking to myself, man, I'm I'm really like kind of losing it on my on, on my on my fitness here. I'm kind of like putting on weight. Do you know what I really need to do? You know what you need to do? Be fit. Be fit. <laughs> so the B says blog ie, where you can find up where you can find out where you can look up <laughs> where you can look out When Diplomacy Fails presents A Master's Dissertation by Zach Twomley It wouldn't be much fun to explain the topic of my dissertation at parties, sure, but for all intents and purposes, the Code of Honor could be looked at from so many different angles that I wouldn't be stuck looking at its social aspects, which was my nightmare. I really didn't want to be stuck in a position where I had to... The ultimate vindication of honor is physical violence.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. My name is Zach Twomley. I am the voluntary curator, the creator of this gallery. This living gallery of the past and present, a concoction of incredible stories, peoples, tragedies, and victories which, taken together, constitute the various episodes you see depicted in this place. It is thus my job, my pleasure, my passion to tend to my responsibilities here and take you through the great stories of history. So, if you'll only sit back down and listen closely, my dear inquisitive visitor, then I will tell you another great story. This will be the story of why Britain goes to war. When Diplomacy Fails presents Britain Goes to War An in-depth examination of the British Empire from the closing stages of the Victorian era to the opening phases of the First World War and beyond. What made Britons believe that they were so special, so distinct from their rivals and so untouchable on the world stage? In many ways, this question can be answered by posing another. How had Britain managed to transform itself from an island backwater racked with strife to a 
worldwide Thus, system. it was up to the government, led by Benjamin Disraeli, to ensure that whatever did happen in the Balkans, it did not force Britain into an... Un- hey guys, it's me, Zach, again. This is the state of the podcast address. And I honestly think it helped my dissertation, and the background knowledge I got from the July crisis definitely helped my actual dissertation itself. So for that... I guess I have you guys to thank, but I also have my own insane ambitions to thank for actually trying to make crazy projects like the July Crisis anniversary. And that is applying for a PhD. In other words, I want to do a doctorate. I want to be Dr. Zachary Jonathan Twomley, and I want to get this doctorate from Cambridge or Oxford because I feel like, and I'm going to sound quite egotistical or arrogant when I say this, but I feel like having made When Diplomacy Fails from the ground up, and I feel like having gotten the award for the best dissertation, I feel like I deserve to be in a place like Cambridge or Oxford. Thanks, and enjoy this next installment. To Disraeli, the issue of the Russians occupying Constantinople had been the major motivating factor behind his stance on foreign policy. Yet, in addition, Disraeli showed some of the more imperialistic, prideful tendencies, which we may also find in some of his more aggressive, belligerent... I'd like to remind you once again that When Diplomacy Fails podcast is a member of the Agora podcast. So I hope you'll enjoy this unique look into Zach Twomley, and I suppose When Diplomacy Fails as well, because it is going to be a unique episode. I promise it's going to be more like, controlled and a little bit better uh, organized than the last State of the Podcast address I had, which I think went, like, way over. <sighs> I'm not exactly sure what the best way to drop this news on you is, but let's just say I've been given some pretty incredible news by, well, the University of Cambridge. I've been offered a place in Cambridge to do my PhD in history. Like... I thought of so many different ways, so many stylish ways that I was going to announce this and how I was going to do it really cryptically and everything, but I was just bursting to tell you guys. Like, I cannot hold it in anymore. I don't want to hold it in anymore. So there it is. I've gotten a place in Cambridge. I got it. I did it. We did it, guys. The years of government since 1874 would have been challenging enough, considering the circumstances... But Darby was also unfortunate enough to hold his position at the exact same time when imperialistic ideals, questions of patriotism, and notions of prestige had begun to shape what it meant to actually lead the British. Back on the podcast, and my guest as always is Sean. Say hello, Sean. Hello, Sean. Ah, nice job. Okay, well, we can't do a time transplant, but what we can do is do this talk episode that will basically serve as a kind of summary for Britain Goes to War so far. You saw people running the other day, you saw someone cycling home, they're being fit. They're not being fit in the right way. Yeah, we'll tell you the right way to be fit. You need to know this, so pay attention. You're supposed to say B stands for... I thought you were going to No, why would I say B stands for... You always say B stands for... And I have to answer and try to remember what B stands for. Oh, yeah, that's how we do this. Ended up slaughtering a load of Bulgarian civilians. When, women, and children. Up to 30,000, some records say. When, women, and children? You just couldn't resist, could you? You (laughs) just couldn't leave it the way it was. When? (laughs) Uh, Perfect. Okay. E is for... Email wdfpodcast.blogspot.uh Wait, no. No. Wait, no. Dot blogspot is is the blog. I'm so confused. Wait, wait. Do we even answer your emails anymore? Hey, I do, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Sometimes. Just, don't look at me like just, that. That's just, a very Can't even one. remember your own email. That, maybe it's because I keep looking at the blog for my emails. I'm so confused. Okay. Okay. So what's your email? E is for... Email. WDF podcast at Hotmail. Is it dot com? Yeah, it is dot com. What's wrong with me? I can't remember my own email address. Uh, What's the password? Hey. <laughs> What's your bank details? Von Rieslumberg. What? Von jo- Riesel. Who are you talking Disraeli. Disraeli. Dang it. Wow. <laughs> you weren't paying attention at all. No, I did. I'm just tired. I couldn't say his name. Because I started with Otto Von. Otto Von Raisley. <laughs> that right there. Well, well what is British interest in uh, the 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 uh, the bur, the the You'll get there. The bur, the bur, Bulgaria. No. Oh. Like the whole, the whole area, <laughs> Balkans. There. Balkans? Oh, I thought you were trying to say Bulgaria all that time. No, in the in the Balkans. <laughs> I kept trying to say Baltic, and I knew that was wrong. Welcome to the miniseries. When Diplomacy Fails presents... 1916... A special centenary miniseries exploring the context, characters, and controversies of the most significant act in Ireland's modern history the 1916 Rising. This is a story of the 1916 Rising. I say a story and not the story because, as all listeners know, numerous sides to every historical tale exist, and numerous angles exist on... In this episode, we will bring the miniseries up roughly to 1905, and introduce the characters and organisations that so shaped Ireland in the years before 1916. Following the death of the political titan Parnell in 1891, the focus of British administrations, led by the Conservative Party for much of the period up to 1905, was to distract the Irish from their desire for a home rule bill. We can't have the rising both ways, in other words. It has to be either a blood sacrifice and a hopeless exercise in martyrdom, or it has to be a failed rebellion, which militarily stood a chance and which its participants wanted to succeed. Debates like these are important, of course, and this doesn't mean that historians don't pick and choose, but just so you all are aware, 1916 is often pigeonholed into the two camps, at the expense, in my opinion, of context and the inherent complications which went along with something as multi-layered as the 1916 Rising. In this episode, we examine the moment of surrender and the scenes of rebels marching off into captivity. Dublin was in flames, its citizens were aghast, unsure how to view the rebels as a whole, or how German-sponsored they truly were. And we conclude our analysis of the 1916 Rising by giving you guys a brief account of how Ireland went from sympathetic to the rebels to voting overwhelmingly to support Sinn Féin in the 1918 general election. And this is our mother-of-pearl-sized conclusion to the 1916 
miniseries. As many times as there was a period of violence, or an armed action that shocked the nation, or an incident which caused much division and conflict in Irish society, there has been countless more examples of brave individuals stepping forward and doing what it took to bring the country back around. To me, that's the real legacy of the 1916 Rising. It may have engendered violence and perpetuated conflict, but more important was the fact that its impact on Ireland gave its people the opportunity to speak and act in the name of peace to end such conflicts. I am proud to say that as many times as such people were required, they answered Ireland's call. state of the podcast address 31st of July 2016 it has been a really long time actually it's only been a month but it feels like it's been way way longer but we don't want to do that do we we want to do something else we want to do something special we want to do something when diplomacy fails can really sink its teeth into what could be better to sink one's teeth into apart from a glorious bar of dairy milk than Louis the 14th guys come on Do you really want me to talk about the First World War or events leading up to it? If you do, then thanks. But wouldn't you rather hear about Louis XIV and all his... Wow, like, this this era is just... I can't believe no one's done more on it. Sometimes I come across eras in history and I'm like, this is just... It's like coming across a gold mine and there's just no one there. And you're kind of looking around in this empty cave with all these glistening diamonds and gems and you're kind of like... Hello? Seriously? Really? Am I the first one here? Well, here's the bad news. I know you guys have been really rooting for me. I know you guys have been right behind me, and it's been amazing the support I've gotten over the last few months. Since I found out I'd been accepted by Cambridge and by Oxford, I'd been basically trying to scramble my resources, scramble scholarships, find any way possible to get into those esteemed centres of learning, to do what I've always dreamed I would want to do in my life, a PhD in history. This is your official notice, guys, to let you know that I did not get the funding for Cambridge. I think part of growing up is realising that there's more than one way to your dream, and that if one road doesn't lead there, there's always side roads or back alleys or that kind of... That sounds really dodgy, but there's always different ways... To get there, do you know? Like, it's not the case that just because I didn't get it, I'm going to give up now and lie down and just cry. Sometimes I want to, but that's not realistic. If I want to do it, I will do it. And deep down, I still really want to do a PhD in Cambridge. So I will. Zach Twomley got a new job. The job is in a... Fairly prestigious charity, actually, but you probably haven't heard of it. It's called the Leprosy Mission. And the role, it's a paid role, it is a researcher and a policy media relations manager. And there's there's no real easy way to describe this. It would be amazing if I could just say, I'm an accountant, and leave it at that. But that wouldn't be like Zach at all. That wouldn't be the kind of thing Zach does. Will I enter into academia? Perhaps. 
but for now I'm content to just be your history podcast host. We are back. When Diplomacy Fails is so happy and proud to be able to entertain and astound you with the next phase of Season 3, while we build towards our war in question here, the Second Anglo-Dutch War. And thanks for the donations to all of you that have been coming through. They are so, so appreciated. Though Johann de Witt would not get the victory that he wanted, neither would the British. In the case of both powers, financial and domestic problems would flare up before the end of the year, demonstrating that the war... Soon it would be inconceivable to suggest that the French and Dutch could ever cooperate on the same stage. It was this event, this offended French king, this scheming British king... Welcome to episode 7. Okay, wow. In the last episode, we witnessed Charles's plan for diplomatically isolating the Dutch be overcome by the previous preparation. We finally have t-shirts. I actually can't believe we finally have t-shirts. If I wasn't wearing one right now while I was recording this, I still wouldn't believe it. Welcome to WDF Asks, Is Westphalia Overrated? It really does bring it home. Ferdinand III could have been as intransigent as his father, dragging his heels and refusing to make such a peace. We could never imagine Ferdinand II essentially giving up his right to claim lordship over Europe. That was Ferdinand II's claim to legitimacy. Without such a claim to justify his Above actions... Above all, we learned last time, courtesy of the anti-Westphalians and Andreas Osiander in his shocking article, that sovereignty and what we would recognise as the emergence of the modern state system was never even alluded If you're interested in purchasing a t-shirt, I would recommend you go to either historytees.net and click on the podcast selection at the side, or you go to the When Diplomacy Fails official website, because that's how advanced we are now, www.wdfpodcast.com. When Diplomacy Fails' virtual motto with this stage, sure thanks to the, the tutors, is to get to the heart of the story, you have to go back to the beginning. And it rings true again here, We would never begin a history book halfway through and expect to know what's going on, yet so many narratives do this when they begin their tale in 1648. To cover up what they left behind, they simply leave bits out. Through such actions, not only do they cheapen and dull the appeal of history by cutting out some potentially fascinating bits, but they also add to the illusion that the Peace of Westphalia was in the past. We concluded that Westphalia is in fact an overrated treaty, but that we can still learn from it and should stop trying to simplify history at the expense of the facts. I'm so excited to bring you guys to the next and arguably the most fascinating phase of the entire series. Over the next 20 or so episodes, since there's no point in me promising to deliver these wars in small numbers anymore, we will be examining the lead-up to the Franco-Dutch War of 1672, the war itself, how and why it widened to include the near entirety of Europe, and under what circumstances it eventually ended. The end of this year, thank God 2016 is nearly over, I hope that it brings you some peace and happiness. If you're listening to this right now and you're thinking, hey, do you know what, I probably could give like just a little tiny bit, but I don't have a large purse lying around with which to give a donation. Well, that's fine. 
number one, you can keep doing what you're doing with your emotional support and keep being fit and getting the news of when diplomacy fails out there, guys, which would be really, really appreciated. But number two, what you could do is do it represented these regent folks. And they had enjoyed power since 1650, but their power seemed to be waning in the face of the French invasion of the Spanish Netherlands and amidst the campaign of hysteria that was promoted by the... Johann de Witt was dead. With him died arguably the greatest statesman of the Dutch Republic since William the Silent, but on the other hand, with him also died the greatest challenge to the House of Orange. After months of dancing around with measures and countermeasures, amidst scenes at Nijmegen which were reminiscent of Westphalia for their intricacies and complexities, the French and Dutch had voted to officially end their war, which had begun in such different circumstances six years and four months before. When Diplomacy Fails presents... Hello and welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Hey guys, welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Hello and welcome to Hello When Diplomacy Fails. Hello and welcome fails. to When Diplomacy Fails. A project five years in the making. The Franco-Prussian War. The Seven Years War. Of the When Diplomacy Fails special on Napoleon. The Crimean War. To When Diplomacy Fails special on World War One, Dutch Revolt. To the When Diplomacy Fails special on the Thirty Years' War. The July Crisis Anniversary Project. The Swedish Deluge. Britain goes to war. The 1916. To the Franco-Dutch War of 1672. This is When Diplomacy Fails. Remastered. Alrighty, what did we think of that? Did it do a good job? Honestly, having listened through it myself a few times, because I obviously had to make sure that everything lined up and everything like that, I thought it was a good journey, I really do. And especially if you look at some of the projects that I took on, like, I love the way the kind of July Crisis project, or the 1916 Rising, or that kind of thing, the way they demonstrate, like, my propensity for taking on massive projects, sure, but... Those were times when I really matured as a podcaster, so being able to get them in and then notice how I changed my style after them, I think was really rewarding. You'll also notice my tone definitely changed, especially, I mean, if you're the kind of person that listened to the Bannockburn commentary episode that came out before this one yesterday, or if you're a patron, you have it all at once, but if you listen to that, then you'll definitely notice a difference. At least I hope you do, because I certainly do. Even the fact that now I feel super relaxed and don't even feel any pressure on me at all when I'm speaking. I mean, most of the time in the past I've felt like this, but I'd say for, well, up until a few months ago, some would say it didn't really come across like that in my voice. 
And I suppose it depends on what way you wake up in the morning. Anyway, I'm rambling again, sorry, but do let me know if you liked this episode, guys, because I really enjoyed putting this out. And as a kind of stepping stone into the fifth year birthday, it serves us well. So yeah, I hope you're ready to run wild, I hope you're ready for Kevin Stroud, and I hope you're ready for everything that this project is going to throw at you, because I'm telling you now, guys, we're only just getting started. Thanks for listening, history friends, and I'll be seeing you all oh so very soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 